Good morning, everybody. I'm very excited to introduce our candidate for the lead pastor position, Pastor Mark Balmer. Mark comes to us from Park Hills Evangelical Free Church in Freeport, Illinois. Mark joined the pastoral staff at Park Hills as a youth pastor in the late 90s and became the lead pastor at Park Hills in 2009. Besides his pastoral responsibilities at Park Hills, Mark also serves as the Central Illinois Area Superintendent for the Great Lakes District for the EFCA and has served in that role since 2012. Mark is here this morning with his wife Charmaine and his family. And if you haven't had an opportunity to meet them uh, and, and get to know their heart for ministry, there's an opportunity to do so this afternoon at three o'clock here at Central Campus. So we hope you're able to join us for that. But that's enough introduction for me. I'd love for Mark to come up and, and lead us in God's word. So let's pray and we will get into our, our passage this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. You have given us this day. Father, we give it back to you in praise and glory. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for bringing your word to us, for protecting it, for passing it down through generations. Thank you, Lord, that it is never changing and it is truth that lasts forever. Thank you for Mark, Lord, and bringing him here this morning. Lord, speak to him by your spirit. Father, use him as your vessel to bring glory to your name. And Lord, by your word, change our hearts for your kingdom and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So good to be here with you this morning. It's truly an honor. We've felt uh, welcomed by those of you who've had a chance to meet. And it's always wonderful to me how you have a common bond if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It unites people together. As Greg mentioned, as you already know, I have uh, currently serve in Illinois, and I've been there almost 25 years. And it has been a, a great season of ministry. And, and in saying that, in that many years, there's been some low lows and some high highs and a lot of in-betweens, but always wonderful to see God move. Had a wonderful Sunday last Sunday, even just one that I will not soon forget, just how God is moving. We've uh, raised our children there and still are doing that. We have great friends there. We're connected. Have a wonderful staff team at our church there and uh, a home that we love. So a common question has been, why do you want to leave? Uh, I gave a startling and sarcastic answer yesterday. I won't do that today. You can ask about that, but it, uh, <laughs> it stunned a couple people, but I was just having fun. Uh, anyway, uh, the answer is really we don't. Uh, we're not looking to leave, and we're not looking to leave, but what we always want to do is be obedient to whatever the Lord calls us to do. Uh, my wife and I always say we're the Lord's servants, and where he leads, we desire to go. That being said, as seeing your ministry profile, as uh, Nancy Moore reached out to me through email, it's wonderful to see the, the ministry history that you have here as a church, and praise God for that, and I hope you give him all the glory for that. Many victories, many God sightings. By the way, it should always startle people when the pastor's family walk out as soon as he starts to leave. <laughs> you should... You should just get up and run for it right now. Uh, <laughs> that was planned, you know, only just to take the kids, but not to say that. Anyway, uh, don't, don't read into that too much. Anyway, where was I? Got to love your family, right? Uh, 
You've experienced some trials here, too, some difficulties, and it's always important to remember that God is still on his throne, and some of the needs identified in your ministry profile, some of the, uh, you know, things that might help you are things that God has uh, used me to do in other places in the past, and so that uh, just made me realize that maybe I ought to need to at least look into it and pray about it. So that's part of what has led me to be here today. I have a personal mission statement, and I'll read it to you, partially because I'm not good at memorizing things, but also because I adjust it on a regular basis. Uh, It's it's simply this. I exist to honor Christ by loving and leading my family in godliness to make disciples and raise up leaders for the kingdom of God. Faithfully and truthfully proclaim the word of God with a spirit of humility and love realistically assess my strengths and weaknesses with an understanding that our God has no limits. So what does a candidate preach on a Sunday such as this? That was a question I had to ask myself. A pastor friend of mine years ago said, never ever candidate and preach your best sermon because if you do that, everybody will just be disappointed week after week if you end up going there. So I didn't go pull out my uh, favorite one or the ones that people have liked the most. That, that was not my intention. But I actually, uh, I chose to jump into Acts right where you've been, you've been and uh, just continue on with your series. And I think that probably helps you get a little better idea of what uh, my preaching would be like on a week-to-week basis. By the way, I, I want to commend your pastors. I think they've been doing an excellent job in guiding you through the Word of God, and I hope you show them your appreciation on a regular basis. I've entitled this message, uh, Problems and Possibilities. There was a clear problem that came to the surface within this new church. People weren't happy. Now that is a new concept, I'm sure, that people would not be happy in a church. Imagine that. That's just wild, right? But we know all about it. If you're anywhere near church leadership, you hear a lot of phrases like, why don't we ever, why do we always, or we used to do it like this. That's one you hear a lot. Or or, the sermons are too long, or the sermons are too short, or... I like hearing that occasionally, but... Not enough music, too much music, too loud of music, wrong, wrong instruments, you name it. The youth ministry broke, whatever kids ministry needs to be this way or why is there coffee in there or why isn't there coffee in there who's spilled on the jones memorial carpet i can't tell you how many times as a pastor i've heard phrases like that look with me at acts chapter 6 starting in verse 1 we'll just look at the first verse and jump in from there Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. And Lord, we just thank you for the time of worship and preparation of our hearts, leading us into your word. And Lord, we ask you to be exalted as you have in the praise and in our prayers and in our thoughts. Father, may your spirit move mightily and 
And Lord Jesus, we desire to exalt your name and to proclaim your goodness. Father, would you help us to see what we need to see and to hear what we need to hear and respond appropriately. In the name of the risen Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. As always, context or background is essential. If you've been attending here or watching online, you really know what that is. You already know that context. And, and Luke gives us a little bit of it right here. It's in the same time as these wonderful things are taking place. In, in, in you have things like miraculous escapes from jail or bold speeches to the Sanhedrin. Apostles being beaten because they were so bold. Increasing group of believers. Back up with me a couple of verses into chapter 5. Go to, to uh, 5, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. Success. I, I want to just make a side note here and say ministry success is a little bit tough to define. And sometimes we have to be cautious in how we define success. Uh, so often it, the idea is that as long as there's a lot of people, then it's successful. And really there's a lot more to it than that. But here it's quite clear that this brand new church built on the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Christ was growing. People were coming to faith. They were focused on proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as churches should be. Proclaiming that God had taken on flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and lived among mankind and died on a cross to ransom sinners through faith in him. Rising again in victory over the grave that was their focus and it should be the focus of every church Luke wants us to see that, that this complaint came and it arose in a season of ministry success growth and fulfillment of the great commission and great commandment I've been in, in ministry long enough to know that when hearts and lives are changing for Jesus Christ and disciples are being made that problems will arise. Again, as I reviewed your history here, I'm not surprised by some of the trials that you have faced. So here we have a complaint, and the complaint is from the Hellenist group directed toward the Hebrew group. There's prejudicial treatment is the complaint. And again, you've studied how these believers would share with anyone as they had need, right? Right? The proceeds from the, the sale of, of their property uh, would be laid at the apostles' feet and distributed as needed. And while all were Jewish by heritage or, or conversion, not all lived the same way. The problem arose when there was a pre-existing division between people that even came beyond their faith in Christ. See, the Hebrews spoken of here were the good Jews, if you will. 
They were likely residents there, Palestinian Jews. They were descendants of the Jews who had returned from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra. They would have tightly adhered to the law as well as they could, followed the instructions from the Pharisees about life, who to associate with, how to wash, you know, 60 you know, seconds under hot water, you know, and then hand sanitizer after that, and then reapply your mask. Uh, sorry. What, what to do and, and what not to touch, how to do your work, how to interact with Gentiles, how to stay away from them as much as possible, who's Instagram to have or not have. They would have been more traditional in their lifestyle, their dress, and their Jewish customs. They had a different opinion than the Hellenist Jews. Can you imagine people in the church having different opinions about something? Stunning. About lifestyle, about dress, about music. The Hellenists were different. These were Jews who were likely descendants of Jews who did not return to Palestine after the exile dispersed around various nations and were still hebrews by origin but the problem was that they would have acted more like the gentiles growing up and residing in foreign lands even even to the point where they're speaking greek primarily and, and this is the minority group of the two often looked down upon for acting more Greek than Jewish. Now, many of these Hellenists were careful not to worship the gods of the Greeks around them, but there was still division. If, you're, if you've been around a while, you might be able to envision this a little bit like imagine, imagining a, uh, a man walking into church in tattered jeans and a T-shirt 30 years ago into a Southern Baptist church not carrying a 25-pound King James Bible, right? It's going to make an impact. I was a youth pastor in, in Sarasota, Florida for a few years, and, and our uh, senior pastor led a man to Christ. It was a beautiful thing, and that man was totally new to faith, totally new to church, and I'll never forget the Sunday that he showed up. He, he came in, and he walked right down. He didn't realize that people don't sit in the front row at church. A few of you do. Uh, but he came all the way up and sat right down there, and, and he did his best to kind of follow along, and he was singing as, as well as he could sing, not knowing the songs. And I will never forget when the pastor that led him to faith in Christ began to preach. It was not five or six minutes before his head started to tip back a little bit, and it would come forward. And not only did his head go back and he fell asleep, but he began to snore. I mean, full, just, you know, it was great. <laughs> not for, not, really wasn't great, but it was, it was memorable, let's call it that. And, and the whole church didn't know what to do because it was loud and it was obvious. And I was watching the eyes of my dear friend, this pastor, looking down at him, not knowing what to do. And finally, one of the gentlemen of our church came and sat next to him and kind of nudged him a little bit, brought him some coffee and it, this went on back and forth through the rest of the, of the service. Ministry gets messy when it's effective. So we've got two groups here now that are unified by their belief in Jesus, as they should have been. But sadly, that did not just automatically remove all of their prejudices. 
Maybe if you've been a Christian for a number of years, but you didn't grow up in a Christian home, maybe you can think back to when you first came to belief in Christ. You no doubt still carried many of your old ways of thinking or your old behaviors into your new life as a Christian. And that may have created some difficulty depending on the church you were attending or how people interacted with you. Sometimes there is within this church this idea that people need to put their life together and, and clean everything up before coming to church. When did we get this idea? It's, it's almost like saying to a patient, please get well before you come into the hospital. But it, it creates a little bit of tension. And as you grew in faith and begin to study the life and ministry of Jesus and understand the word and study it, get a hold of the mission and the commandments, might have caused you to think. And, and you began to change your lifestyle. But these moments, they create for some interesting social dynamics, and that's what we have here in this new church. The Hellenists, no doubt, had felt judged by the Hebrews like they were second-class citizens. So the complaint arises. How many of you are about to complain that I'm still on the first verse? You should be worried about that. <laughs> we'll move along, don't worry. Luke puts it, they were being neglected. Or they, or they were, yeah, they were being neglected. And I don't know if that means no food or just smaller portions. We don't know exactly. But more context again, there were many needy who were part of this group now. And front and center would have been the widows. The Greek kera, uh, translated to widow, simply implies the, the concept of being forsaken. Often in these cultures, your value was based upon what you could productively contribute to society. So some uh, widow with a limited ability to do any intensive labor would have been in trouble or, or, or hard work or no longer able to bear children. So many of them would live in, in fear of abuse or going without food. This complaint here su suggests that the Hebrew widows were not struggling because they were being treated preferentially. And it may seem like a minor issue, but it doesn't take much. Kent Hughes shares the story of a famous church split in Dallas, Texas. Lawsuits were filed by the two factions that the church divided into. It was pushed to the authorities, to the higher-ups within that denomination. One of the groups was ultimately able to keep the building. The other group formed another church in the area. During the proceedings, it came out that the troubles and conflicts all began at a church meal where an elder of the church received a smaller slice of ham than the child seated next to him. Can you imagine? Think of how that community perceived the people of that church when the newspaper retold that story. It doesn't take much, does it? Danger is always present. Back to our text, for those of you who are worried about me being in verse 1. 
Verse 2. See, we're progressing. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I think it's quite significant here to notice that uh, we don't have any account of them arguing or debating about whether or not the complaint was legitimate. Perhaps they knew it was, and they were just simply willing to face the fact that a problem existed. We might assume that many were thinking or, or wanting Peter and John and the apostles to make these food distributions and make them uh, in a fair way. And that might be an understandable way to look at it. And you can see why it could have been a bad situation. But they knew they should not get directly involved. They understood what God had called and equipped them to do. They stayed on mission while making sure that people were loved and cared for. Wisely, they communicated with everyone, direct communication. Uh, good communication limits the rumors, doesn't it? It clarifies intentions and minimizes speculation. There can be a lot of speculation that happens in a church culture. Amazing conclusions that can be drawn that are wildly distant from the reality. It happens, right? It was important enough that they knew people needed to hear this. The apostles could have directly chosen people to make the distribution, but wisely they explained it to them all. Let the people choose in this case. But just said, here are the requirements. It needs to be a good person of good reputation, spirit-filled, and wise, and be a proper representation. Now understand that this statement that it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables, it does not suggest that it was not an important ministry. It, it certainly doesn't suggest that they were above that. Think about these who were disciples of Jesus who had followed him around and had served with him. Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, right? They, they've been there. They have actually have some experience in this. Jesus taught them to be servants. Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. For the apostles, this was simply a matter of keeping the first things first. The difference was that they had followed Jesus as his disciples. They were chosen by Jesus. They were trained by Jesus, and they were taught by Jesus. And what's critically important was that they were eyewitnesses of what Jesus had said and what he had done. It was critical in that culture. You could have people passing it down, so-and-so told me that so-and-so told me that they saw Jesus do this or heard Jesus say this. These were direct eyewitnesses, and it made them uniquely equipped for the task of transmitting the truths and teachings of Jesus Christ. 
So they raised others up for this new task. You choose them, but based upon this criteria, and we will appoint them. Training and teaching and delegation is at the very heart of discipleship. Ephesians 4.13, pastors are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But look back at me, again with me at, at verse 4 in Acts 6. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, this was not a, we don't want to do it, find someone else. It was not a, an issue of laziness. They weren't going to go rest under a shade tree somewhere listening to Spotify. We will keep our schedules filled with the prayer and the ministry of the word. In my years of being a pastor, it is amazing to me how many extra duties there can be and how many extra ministries to attend or, or things that you are asked to do or expected to do. And again, many of these are very important they can be incredibly meaningful. And many of them are a pleasure to do. But they can be distracting from some of the other things that are essential as well. One of my favorite things is those moments when you see someone else raised up to do a task. Wonderful moments when maybe the Lord brought someone to mind. Or the staff team suggests she would be great for that ministry. Or he is showing such great promise. He's growing so much. Or the Holy Spirit prompts that individual directly to get involved in ministry. And you know what we find is that often the end result is that ministry is done better than if staff just try to force it into their schedules. The apostles knew where their focus needed to stay look with me at verse 5 and what they said pleased the whole, con whole gathering and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmesan sorry Parmenas just thought you'd enjoy that. Nicholas, and a, pro, a proselyte, to, a proselyte to Antioch. These that they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We commonly call these seven men deacons or servants. What is interesting about these men is they all had Greek names, and it had been the Greek Jews who were complaining. Up until this point, we really only see the, the ministry to the Jews, and here we're starting to see the first signs of a shift in, in, in the movement here. Nicholas was a proselyte and Gentile who converted over to Judaism. He was also from Antioch, which we will see later becomes the headquarters of Gentile ministry. Two of these who were chosen, Stephen and Philip, you likely know that there's more to be seen from them. What a success. People are pleased. Needs are met. And we know of no further division on this issue. Look at verse 7. 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's a pretty good progress report, isn't it? The kind of thing you want to hear. God's word worked mightily. The number of disciples increased greatly. And a curious comment here from Luke, that great many priests came to faith. It's possible that this decision or the unity because of it had an effect on some of the priests. These are not likely to be confused with the high priest or the chief priest or the Sadducees, not saying that none of them would have responded to the gospel. These were priests who would, not, would, have, been in, would have not been in the upper class group of religious leaders. Likely there were many of these who might have responded. So what do we do with a passage like this? I think it's good to note that we see uh, many other places in Scripture where there's this importance of other people doing their part, whether or not we're talking about the body of Christ and all of its, its members, or whether we're even going back to the importance of delegation that we see even in the book of Exodus, which is where we've been preaching back at my church. What do we do with problems in church ministry? Let me just give you a couple of just practical things to take with you, with you on that regard. Can I encourage you to be cautious about your complaints? Sometimes I think we need to stop and pray through what, what's bugging us and, and wrestle it through and, and, and maybe do our best to understand it from other perspectives. Check your spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to, to just guide you and to bring you to truth in that matter. It's important to ask the question, are my concerns self-seeking? And if I need to address them, am I, am I following the biblical path? Am I addressing that individual and then following proper protocol? I would also encourage you to understand that change is often necessary. And within that, there needs to be a willingness to, to jump in as needed or as prompted. Sometimes it's important to step aside. Sometimes a discipleship process stops because we won't relinquish something that we really enjoy. Sometimes our growth means being willing to die to things. Changes sometimes are necessary in things like worship style, or sometimes we've got to go back and, and revisit bylaws just because uh, they've been that way for a while and there's things that have changed. We stay true to what's essential in the Word of God, but we don't hold methods too dearly. We consider new strategies and new vision. I encourage you also to be understanding of your leaders and fellow church members. We may not always agree, right? But don't assume that people are bad because they might look at something a little bit different than you do. Don't look around at each other and just judge uh, their faith whether or not they are serving here within the, the walls of this facility. Understand that many people uh, take their faith and they apply it to their life, to their neighborhood, to their work, to their school, and are likely doing things that you have no idea are even happening. Be careful about wishing things were different. 
or the same as they've always been. Sometimes it's a matter of attitude. Be ready to do ministry. Last Sunday, I had an interesting thing happen. A man was going through his daily life earlier in the week, and he was standing at a gas pump, and another man began to talk to him, and they were both military veterans. The one man said to the other, it seems like you're struggling right now. Is that true? And he goes, yeah, I really am. He said, you got time to go inside and sit down. They went into the little booths inside of a mobile gas station and started to talk. That conversation led to, hey, would you consider going to church on Sunday? He said, yeah, actually, I've been praying about whether or not I should get back into church. That man showed up to church on Sunday morning, and he showed up at the wrong time because we had changed our service times for a baptism Sunday. But interestingly, as he showed up, the man who was there to greet him was also a military vet. They connected quickly. The man went back home and came back at the right time. He stayed for the services and was very impacted by it, and he came up. The, the man who greeted him walked him up to me and said, I, I want you to meet this individual started telling me about his struggles in life and, and how he wanted to get things right with Jesus. And it was just a wonderful moment. And there were some other people that were wanting to talk to me. And the man who had greeted him, who was standing there with him, it started to walk away. And I said, oh, wait, wait, just stay here a second. You see, I discipled this man personally. And I said to the one man, I said, listen, I want you two to exchange numbers right now. Because I said, I want you to know this man right here will stand next to you. He will be your brother and he will walk you through this process. And the man just said, yes, I will. And they exchanged numbers and have been talking ever since. Being ready at the moment's notice to do ministry because you've been equipped, because someone else has shown you the way and has prepared you for that moment. And even if you feel unprepared in that moment, there's a point where we must depend on the power of the living God in us, the Holy Spirit, to carry us. God had arranged for these three veterans for their lives to collide. That man is now asking to be part of the next baptism. Step up to the challenge before you. Stop looking for another to do something God may want you to do. When we consider the idea of discipleship, the question is, who is before you and who is behind you? Discipleship says there's those who are ahead of me in life who have uh, so much that they've learned and then I grow from them and I gain from their wisdom and dividing the word together with them. But hopefully I've turned and looked behind me and I'm seeing who can come along behind me, life on life. I stand here before you today because of my parents' commitment to disciple me to raise me to know and love the Word of God. I stand here before you today because of a fifth-grade Sunday school teacher who was committed to tolerate the craziness of myself and the worship pastor's kid. We were hard to teach. Her name was Grace, and it couldn't have been more appropriate. She loved the Word of God. 
and instilled that in me. There were youth pastors that made an impact in my life, but even more than that, youth volunteers occasionally taught. I don't remember what they taught, but I remember their lifestyle. Full-time engineer who was very busy with that, but giving his time in the evening and the impact that that had on me, and I just remember thinking, I want to be like Brian. Hopefully you're sitting here today and you can think of people who had an impact in your life like that because they were willing to serve wherever needed. They were willing to look beyond themselves and say, listen, I need to, to impact someone else. I need to share the good things that, that God has given me and that those who have blessed me and discipled me, I've got to do that for somebody else. My time is gone. Let me give you a few points and I'll wrap up. Every local church that is effective in outreach will need to adjust at the leadership level to remain effective and maintain unity. Adjustments must be identified and impl implemented by or under spiritual guidance. There's just times things need to change. Sometimes they don't. A congregation should be willing to serve using their giftedness for the health of the local church. Again, you may be serving in other places. That's fine, too. And let me close with this. Many times that we, uh, there are many times that we must see problems are, are actually possibilities opportunities for God to move powerfully. I want to close up this time with prayer and then Pastor Doug will lead us in our time at the Lord's Supper. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its impact in our hearts and lives. Jesus, we thank you for being that Savior who gives us a reason to gather, who gives us a reason to proclaim the good news. We thank you for that victory over the grave and the willingness to invite us in as your own. And Father, may that willingness of yours and that love of yours be transferred to our hearts that we who believe and know Jesus as our Savior are quick to love and to serve others, to be people of grace and understanding willing to step up at a moment's notice to be conduits and transmitters of your love and your truth. Father, we thank you for your plan of redemption. And we're so grateful for the cross and the empty tomb. May the truth of it continue to drive us to be the people you want us to be. In the name of that risen Lord and Savior, Jesus, we pray.